Welcome, listeners, to Season 3, Episode 22 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we're joined by our dear friend, Gemma Moore. Hi, Gemma. Hello. Hiya. How's it going? Super good. So happy to have you here. I'm what so are, excited to be on. What are you up to lately? Oh, well, most of it I can't talk about. But mm. um, I've, been on, I've been on some really fun, gory adventures. Um, Ooh. But I can't talk about them. But you'll see in the new year as they start to pop out and come out. So, yeah. yeah. So this week we watched uh, a movie suggested by you, Edward Scissorhands from 1990. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be the story of snow. Ooh. Uh. This episode will contain discussion on sexual assault and toxic masculinity. If any of these topics are things that you need to not hear today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next time. So okay. I'm, I made the drink yeah. this time. You've presented me with a bowl and I'm not sure what to do with it. That's right. I've given you an <laughs> escape room. You're trapped in here for an hour and you need to figure out how to drink this. An hour? Yeah. <laughs> It'll melt by then. <laughs> uh, so I call this one the origin of snow. How fitting. And I thought I would have a little fun with it this time. So I've presented a concoction <laughs> that you yourself must mix to your desired it's like the most just like what's it called when you're like self appeasing basically self serving. It's candy. It's fucking candy. Hell yeah! <laughs> I love that you give me an amount on the side, and you're like, you know, just put in the amount that you'd like to have. I'm not expecting me not to dump the entire thing on this snow. <laughs> listen, listen. There's the advised amount. There's the I'm legally required by the FDA to say that this is the amount that you're supposed to use. Okay, wait. What is that? Nothing. What do you want me to do? Do what? Just put. <laughs> okay, I did it. All right, uh, <laughs> I will do mine as well. All right, so it's a little hard to eat whilst recording. I mean, drink. Sorry, I don't want to bury the lead too much. No, it's you can still eat it. It's a dessert. I like it. It's uh, it's I, it's complex in that it took me a while to make it a little bit. But it's not complex in the fact that it is very little ingredients, <laughs> but it's very good. <laughs> I was expecting the liquid to kind of, you know, I've tried to make slushies at home, which this is basically it's a slushie. It's not slushy. what this is. Okay. Fans out there who don't pay for the Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash drink and scream. <laughs> but uh, whenever you try to do it without using actual like slurpy ingredients or whatever, there's something about the consistency of it that just makes the liquid fall to the bottom. Well, it's because the ice, if you don't get to the ice soon enough, it freezes into this gross ball. Ooh. And then you just pour liquid on it and it goes straight through the ball. Right. But this is, it's a thick enough that it's still sticking to the ice itself. Yeah. Because I'm smart. <laughs> Good job. But it's also, it's really fruity. It's not sour. Which I'm always a fan of sour things. I could have probably, I mean, I, so I was literally thinking like, do I make this artisanal, which would be <laughs> like putting some, some zest on it, maybe like a sprig of something. Some I don't mint. know. I could see some mint on top of this. Yeah. But I was literally like, it's, it's Edward. He's making, he's mixing some stuff. 
Kind of like that scene in Stranger Things when Elle is alone and she's like discovering stuff in the house. Egos. <laughs> uh, so it's like, it's going to be simple, but candy. And it will fuck you up. This is perfect for our Happy Horror Days event because this is so like not to stick us in a hole, but like very Christmassy. Like I would love to enjoy this after like a nice dinner. I mean, what over are, the holidays, what are we going to do for the last one? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You I... find out at the end of this episode what our season finale is going to be. <laughs> but first, Edward Scissorhands. That premiered on December 14th, 1990. It's directed by Tim Burton and written by Caroline Thompson and Tim Burton. It stars Johnny Depp as the gothic, misunderstood experiment Edward Scissorhands, Winona Ryder as daughter and Edward's obsession Kim. That's why you have Stranger Things on the brain. Oh, yeah. Probably, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Winona Ryder and Diane Weist? Weist? We're still not sure. As mother and Avon Calling do-gooder Peg. So I wrote the second half of the synopsis, so Shar is making me read it. So if I stutter and I do bad at reading, I apologize. No, you're going to do great. The first part of the synopsis is by Film Fan UK on IMDb, and it reads, In a castle high on top of a hill lives an inventor's greatest creation, Edward, a near-complete person. The creator died before he could finish Edward's hands. Instead, he is left with metal scissors for hands. Since then, he has lived alone until a kind lady called Peg discovers him and welcomes him into her home. At first, everyone welcomes him into the community, but soon things begin to take a change for the worst. <gasps> so this is the part I wrote. Edward's talents for trimming isn't enough for the community to fully accept him. After being accused of trying to rape Joyce when he was the victim and breaking into Jim's dad's man cave, Edward is quickly ostracized by the community. Jim goes alpha boyfriend and attacks Edward, who accidentally cuts Kim. Edward saves Kim's brother from getting hit by a van, but cuts his face in the process. The town chases him back to his castle, where a final confrontation results in Jim's death. The town, thinking Edward is dead, goes back to their normal life. Only Kim knows that Edward is alive and that every snowfall is him carving ice sculptures in his castle alone. So sad. I struggled to read that. No, it's going to be edited, so you're so perfect. I'm so fluent with my dick shim. Listen, dyslexia is a real thing. Don't shit on yourself. My dick shim. I'm playing the trailer audio. Play that audio. Why are you hiding back there? You don't have to hide from me. I'm as harmless as cherry pumpkin. Those are your hands? He's a highly imaginative character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. <laughs> what the hell? Was... I'm yelling at the screen. <laughs> oh my God. At first I was like, wow, this is great. There's a lot of audio. And I was thinking like dialogue, I mean, and I was thinking, oh, perfect for the podcast. Cause sometimes we have to cut out most of the trailer because it's just music, but it just kept going and going. It wasn't even long, 
but we got the entire fucking movie in there. That there was nothing missed. Like Holy you literally crap. didn't need to watch the movie if you watched that trailer. Like scenes were extended for sure, but they showed the introduction of him. They showed him meeting the people in the town. They showed what he's good at. They showed they showed the sexual assault. They showed him falling in love. They showed him doing the ice sculptures. They showed literally everything in the that snow. two minute trailer. Yeah. Oh man. Like the only secret is that the movie starts with an old Winona Ryder, I guess. That's not even a secret. Oh man. That was the worst. Ugh. I mean, it was good because it's a good movie and like yeah, and it I did... just watched it again in the last two minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the worst we've seen. Oh, my God. That was literally nothing is. I'm shocked. I can't think of an important scene of the movie that was not in that trailer. Yeah. No. Wow. For sure. I mean, whoever 1990s people watching that trailer were fucked for spoilers, I guess. Oh, boy. Jeez. Uh, also, uh, I don't think we ever say it in the, uh, the, the discussion with Gemma. But I showed Char a video from College Humor years back when they were making fun of Tim Burton. And it was like him being like, we're the weavers of nightmares and we need everything striped and uh, all that stuff. And uh, I explicitly showed it because I love the part of um, Danny Elfman. Yes. I love the part of Danny Elfman when he's like, "Okay, well, I do the the song like. La 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 boom 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 And I was very disappointed that that's not the style that was in this movie. <laughs> it still kind of is a though. A little sort of It is. Yeah. They have they added choral singing though that's to true. make it unique. Made it more Christmassy. Yes. Yeah. It's the holiday horrors. <laughs> la, oh, la, man. la 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 boom boom boom. <laughs> I think <laughs> this drinkish dessert is making me wacky. <laughs> yeah, already. <laughs> Let's get to the discussion with Gemma. Gemma, why did you want to do this film? I know I gave you the like it should be slightly holiday themed, but yeah. So basically, I was like wanted to do gremlins but you guys have done that before right yeah we did that um, last year <laughs> so i was like what other films when i was younger that i used to love that were kind of like a bit sort of like not the usual christmas film which i'm going to say something controversial here i think the holiday is better than love actually but um but yeah so <laughs> so do i um, that's not I controversial <laughs> here i think it's i think it's better but so then i was like Actually, I used to watch Edward Scissorhands a lot at Christmas, and I used to be like, it, it, I kind of watched it with the Grinch because they both are kind of the same. Like the outsider lives on the outskirts of town, comes in, everyone's decorating for Christmas, and then and then there's like snow. So I, I used to watch Edward Scissorhands and the Grinch normally together because they were kind of very, very similar. Yeah. So I thought that, and, and also the opening's very Christmassy and it's, you know, the same sort of music as The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, is it Danny, Danny Elfman? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so, so I was like, oh, this is kind of Christmassy, but then it sort of goes into that, those pastel colours and then it comes back to that like summer hot and then it comes back round. So it kind of does like a 360 of, starts with a Christmassy theme and then ends with a Christmassy theme. Yeah. Mm. I've never been in a place, I've never lived in a place that didn't have snow for Christmas. So the concept of them like rolling out the cotton sheets on the roof was something that was so weird <laughs> to me. Yeah. When he's like stapling them down. <laughs> yeah. I lived in Vegas 
for two Christmases, and it's incredibly depressing to like have just the same weather throughout the entire year. Yeah, I quite like a hot. I quite like to go away at Christmas. Like I went away uh, January last year, and it was actually quite nice to be somewhere hot. Mm. for like the Christmas I think once Christmas is over you kind of want Christmas day just to snow on Christmas day and then once that's over I quite like the the sun and the heat yeah like a bit of vitamin D I'm the opposite I'm like chasing (laughs) snow around I just want to be wherever there's always snow (laughs) what do you guys think makes this film Christmassy because I was trying to be like trying to find the little Christmas nuggets in it. Yeah, yeah. I, well, first thing is that for our like horror days event, we try to like just do like winter in general. So I do love the story of snow and old withered Winona Ryder. Like, let me tell you <laughs> the I'm, story of I'm snow. I'm so yeah. old. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And like, it's been a while since I've watched... Uh, Edwards, I was going to say Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Edwards is her hands. So it was really cool to revisit it. And I kind of forgot that there is an actual whole Christmas, like the party scene that happens where they invite all the mm. neighbors and nobody comes because they've decided to already hate Edward. Yeah, it's so incredibly loosely Christmas. Like the the whole Christmas plot is barely re- relevant. It's just the idea that nobody wants to come over to their house anymore. Like 90% of the film takes place in no, late November, early December instead. Yeah, Baking Heat. When did it, what day did it come out in to the cinemas? It came out today. Yes. On December 14th. Yeah. It's the 30th year anniversary. <laughs> so it is a Chris. That's so funny. Yeah. Hey, uh, what are the timing of that? Yeah, um, you planned it. <laughs> you did your is, research. It's a um, Christmas so miracle. It is a Christmas. It is a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah. I would. I would class that anything that's released in December is for the purposes of Christmas. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. Oh man, that it that creates a whole category of. Now I need to look up films that are in December and classify them as Christmas films. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't even say it's loosely Christmas. It is a Christmas movie. Like Edward Scissorhands is like the feeling of Christmas. It starts with Mm. her telling a story to her grandkid while it's snowing outside. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like those, um, the, the jingle, but like you can hear like these little sort of sleigh bells in the, in the sort of uh, music and the soundtrack and stuff like that. Yeah. Isn't there also like, um, he gives him a Christmas present of hands, the wax hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so sad. That scene? <laughs> that's so sad. Spoilers for Scaredy Facts. I'm jumping all over the place. Oh, no. But that's the last scene that um, he ever filmed. Vincent, Vincent Price? Price? Yeah. Oh. Because uh, he was really sick. And also, he sick. did House of Wax, didn't he? Yeah. So that was like a current... I was like, oh, wax hands, House of Wax. <laughs> and that was like... <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, this was this was filmed in Tampa, Florida, wasn't it? And it was based on Tim Burton's sort of area in Burbank, wasn't it? Yeah. And they took over they took over a whole house like people's houses and they paint they were like, Oh, can we come and paint your houses? And and they made the windows like narrow and stuff to make them like more paranoid and yeah. it's quite amazing. Yeah. I remember in one of the shots of like an establishing shot of the town. You can see basically the community of the painted houses, but in the background, you can just see some normal ass houses, which really I like the idea that it's like this tiny gated community acts like this in this universe. Mm. But then just outside, it's like it's no longer Tim Burton universe. It's just like 
normal ass people outside. It's only like wow. two inches or so that you can actually yeah, see it's of it. Yeah, at the very it's top so of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like my, a whole bunch my of my rented Amazon. Like how long? Uh, Forty hours I've got left on the rented Amazon Prime <laughs> 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 of it. It, it. Like half of it was because obviously CGI wasn't really a thing back then but like half of it was you know the the house on the top of the hill was basically when she looks in a rearview mirror it's like a little model yeah. house yeah. On, stacked on a bin of course like Tim Burton and, and the models that he always has in all of his things yeah it's not a Tim Burton film without uh, mini models of architecture. <laughs> without some forced yeah. perspective. <laughs> is it uh, Bo, Bo Welch is the production designer? And, yeah, and I'm going to say do... yes and, and agree with you, even if you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's right. That rings a bell to me. There's so many cool... What I loved about this film was that when... Uh, Caroline Thompson was talking about it in like articles and stuff, she was always saying that Films like this just don't get made anymore because the, it was this, this. I'm just going to talk over him. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this is like group of people who you know came together who weren't quite matched together, and the industry didn't really know what to do with them. And it was actually uh, the lady that plays the mum who was the one that. Diane West was the one that basically read the script and then gave it her stamp of approval. And then everyone else was in Hollywood was like, okay, we'll invest in this film. Now because, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's okay. But before, and, and it's mixed with all these people who are just so specialist in what they do and all these, which Tim Burton's now lost. I feel where he's replaced it with CGI. Yeah. It's that, you know, everything's very visceral and you can touch it. And, and, you know, these little model figures, like you were saying, is just all created and then added. And we all know it's model figures, but that's what makes it almost more special. Yeah. yeah. Especially under the context of old Winona telling a story. It's like any sort of like, oh, it's made of a statue because it's in her mind as she's telling it to the kid or something like that. Like you can excuse a lot of that because it's, kind of like the what's unreliable narrator or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mm. but yeah like the the visceralness of the appearance of Edward in contrast to like everything around him like those hands are incredibly creepy uh, and huge and compared huge. to normal hands <laughs> I know. And he looks when the when the cop is like, put down your weapons. It's like, yeah, I'm it's so eerie, it's so sad. And like his whole outfit makes him look like a Hellraiser. Like the the leather and the mm. straps and the buckles and stuff. And everybody else is in like very one colored outfits and stuff. Like he stands out so distinctly yeah. from everybody else in those situations. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, um, you know, you were saying that the rest of the, so the, the like behind this community, the rest of the place, the rest of the houses were like, you know, normal house, normal houses. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently Tim Burton says in one article that it's actually his fantasy. So when he reaches that first community, that's actually a fantasy view of from his point of, from Edward Scissorhands point mm. of view of what he imagines these like communities to be like. Yeah. And that's why he's so contrasting because it's actually in his head what he thinks them to be like. So they're actually like a bit lesser. You're just like eating through all of my scaredy <laughs> facts, by the way. This no, is trivia. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. 
<laughs> but that is cool because it is like double unreliable narrator narrator because yeah. like she's telling a story about what he perceived their community to be as mm. that's pretty cool yeah what did you think of the animal statues why do you think they're there why do you think it's animals specifically he's so whimsy and like so creative and he It's interesting, too, because he doesn't really have like from the culture that he's been shown as a kid. There's like poetry books that he was being read and there was etiquette books that he was being read. But we never saw him get to watch like films or obviously go out and like see a play, see a show or see any animals like all the animals that he chose were like dinosaurs or like whales, like big um, lustrous things that he never saw. I think it's like him expressing his freedom. Yeah, or that, maybe like mm, he, that he craves. He had all those like posts, uh, like those pictures around his bed. I wonder if like he had mostly just access to books. That's true. They were like newspaper clippings of other people that were different yeah. and how they were succeeding, which yeah. is so heartwarming. <laughs> oh my gosh! So yeah, that's true. He de- definitely was receiving. The newspaper. Yeah, because he's very good at like replicating things that he sees. Like he he makes the whole family out of the uh, the bush and then he like perfectly repli- replicates uh, Kim's face in like the ice sculpture and stuff like that. Well, he was built as a factory machine, wasn't he? Yeah. Because it, it's all those like um, at the start, there's sort of like humanist, like human, like contraptions. Sort of mach- contraptions. And then he gets built to be one of them. The chopping thing. So, so yeah. So that's like a so echoing that fact that he was built specifically to replicate things in the factory. I've only just, wow. thought, just yeah. I can't believe that. I didn't realize that at all. <laughs> I think it literally. That's when when he puts the little heart cookie to the ch- lettuce chopping <laughs> machine. Yeah, but I never yeah. I never equated that. Like the reason he's so good at what he does is because he's literally designed. Mm. To do that. that. And like he's been given the tools to do it. It's also weird that Vincent Price was like, all right, I can't make the hands hands yet. What should I give him instead? Ah, yes. Scissors. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that that was what he started as like he used that machine as his base and built off of it to create the actual Edward. Oh. So he just wasn't finished because he already had those scissor hands. And that was the last thing that he didn't do. (laughs) <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I'm learning so much from this podcast cast. Because <laughs> I was like, why for age? I'm going to let this little doggy out. Hold on one <laughs> right, second. No He's being such a brat. <laughs> it's okay because the dog's noises just flow into one of my points, which is that Edward is basically like a puppy that you bring home from the pound. Because the whole yeah. movie, we're like watching him experience everything for the first time, and his like, uh, his ex- Johnny Depp's expressions are so <laughs> like wondrous and full of like joy and excitement, and it just is. Uh. Th- it's so. <laughs> A dog, like, (laughs) in the car, specifically, like, in the car when the mom is, like, bringing him home for the first time, and he can't stop, like, looking and pointing at things. Yeah. Oh, it's so cute. And the moment where he sits with the other dog. Yeah. Yeah. Dog and then clips the dog's hair and then it can see. It's so So cute. cute. It's so adorable. And every time he, like... And then he's like, please. (laughs) (laughs) Every time he's, like, discovering new things and he, like, pokes it and then it 
like when he pokes the water bed and it starts squirting water like that's such a dog reaction of like i poked this thing and it reacted now i'm scared of it yeah. and runs away yeah he he's that's so funny apparently that wasn't supposed to be a waterbed and then yeah tim burton was like we'll, we'll make that a waterbed because <laughs> i was like what teenage girl has a waterbed like with like I, as a teenage girl i was so like messy and would put everything on my bed so like why would you give a teenage girl like a waterbed yeah that bit's amazing when he's like well i love also because he he holds his hands yeah like, like an animal like little paws. oh my god yeah, like, i didn't even think of that so cute like little paws in front of him like walking around so cute it is a good way to like immediately make you feel for this character because like he is a kind of creepy design but like his mannerisms replicating like a, a adopted puppy you like immediately are like oh no i love him yeah He's so great yeah <laughs> But yeah. like uh, Johnny Depp has such a good like he does such a good job of like what's it called like body acting oh, for totally. the character like all of his uh, Jack Sparrow stuff is so uh, physical in his movement and Johnny Depp just does does mm. such a good job of of that that I'm I'm glad that we got someone who's good at body work but doesn't like try to steal the focus. But I also noticed that Johnny Depp has never gone back to that vulnerable performance. Like he, even in Jack Sparrow, there's like this sort of ego and arrogance with it. Mm -hmm. And anything that he's done that like weird kookiness (laughs) with, he's never gone back to that total innocence of like, and also he, his physicality in Edward's hands is very apparent and you know, it's very for the character, but it's also very understated and and it there's a lot of minimalism in it in the performance so mm-hmm. that's what i thought was i was like oh, i haven't seen johnny do johnny depp johnny do a performance like that since i thought that was just amazing did it, did it get nominated for anything I didn't see that it did. No. I didn't actually look that deep into it though let me look it feels it up like now. one of those movies that like only got popular later. They were nominated for an Oscar for Best Makeup, V. Neal and Stan Winston. They wow. Johnny Depp was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Performance. Um, and then they won Best Production Design uh, at the BAFTAs. Bo Welch. Nice. Yeah. Good. Oh, that's great. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did this come before or after um, Nightmare Before Christmas as well? Nightmare Before Christmas was after. Because because I think that they were going to make this a musical. Yes, they were. Man, yeah. another scaredy fact. <laughs> oh, I just had the realization. I was like, okay, wait. So this movie came out in 1990. All right, so that was a year before I was born. But it's th- the 30 year anniversary is coming up. And then I'm like, oh, wait, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm turning <laughs> Your 30 year anniversary is coming up. I'm turning up. 30, right. Of course. <laughs> that make, the time works. I got it. <laughs> uh, do you have any other uh, facts, Char? Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out, it's kind of a downer, but I feel uh, like it's important to talk about it, is that fucking scene with Joyce in the back room of the salon was so awkward and terrible in a like terrible in a good way. Like it really makes you empathize for Edward. But I was wondering, is it supposed to be funny? Was that the goal of that scene? Because it as a kid, it never felt funny to me. And like when we popped it in today to watch it, I was like, oh, yeah. And there's that scene like, oh, 
I don't know. Maybe I think it was supposed to definitely highlight you, how, the empathy that you feel towards him and also his innocence and and also like, I don't know, maybe to highlight toxic masculinity in the sense that I know a lot of people in that town would have had a different, you know, like if you go to Kim's boyfriend who, is it Kim? Yeah, Kim's yeah. boyfriend who's like the, the jock, like who just takes advantage of every city. Like he took advantage of him in a different way, mm-hmm. but it showed that like, you know, there's pe- there's a lot of people that would just take advantage of you for their own reasons. And um. Yeah. But I know a lot of people in Hollywood at that time would have been like, oh, yeah, well, me, I would have, you know, <laughs> that would have been. It's the perfect fantasy. That would be a different situation if it was me. Dream you know? come like, true. That kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes. I also remember watching this as a kid and feeling weird about this scene, but not yet understanding why. And it is very much like he doesn't have the context of what really is going on. He just knows he's uncomfortable. And, and he runs away. Yeah. Mm. And I'm like, are they, were they trying to set it up that to show that he's weird, that he doesn't, that he's not into it or that he doesn't know what's going on? Like he's an, out of place basically. Or is it to pose, supposed to show that he's like different than everybody else, that he's not taking this opportunity or whatever because felt, he does love Kim or something? Yeah. For me, it felt like they were highlighting that he was basically a child because then it's immediately after that, the diner scene. Yeah. And he just says it point blank. To the rest of the family, uh, the the plumber at the start dismissed her as well. Yeah, so it's it's not just him dismissing her. It was the plumber at the start dismissed her, being like, "Oh God, just like go away," like that kind of energy. Whereas he was like, it it, it goes into the whole consent thing because he doesn't really know what's going on, so he doesn't say yes or no. Whereas clearly the plumber like signifies no. Yeah. So so actually. I don't know if he, I don't know if Tim Burton and Caroline Thompson were addressing like that whole thing of consent because also he consented to breaking into the boyfriend's dad's place actually because he knew it was the boyfriend's dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he was doing it for Kim. So, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. He definitely like, then she goes full blown villain when she claims that he attacked her. Yeah. Uh, and tells everybody in the community. What? It's just like, that because hmm, one of salty my salty cow. That's what I called her when I watched it. I was <laughs> like, what a salty cow. Yeah, like hey, you, British. Everybody, you, I don't want to. I see ahead what your point is, and I don't want to like dig. No, I don't no, steal go for point. it, go for it. But it is really like up until that point, nothing really bad happened to Edward. Like everybody was happy and excited, and this was like the point when it was showing the like dirty side of the the town where everyone actually just wanted to take advantage of him, starting with Joyce, sexually wanting to take but advantage she, of him. But she's always been a predator, though. Yeah, this she's is... She's always been a predator. It's like the turning point, Maybe though. it's the whole... Yeah, or the whole thing that, like, these busybody, small-town-minded people don't like to acknowledge that these people are predators. Like, you know, if, if that was our, our friends, I know that we'd be like, heads up, so-and-so's a bit of a predator, like, just don't go near them. Yeah. Or, you, you know, like, I, I would never let my friend go near someone who I knew was a predator. So maybe it's this whole thing that everyone turns a blind eye to this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this predatorial behavior in these small towns because it actually saves them having to deal with the situation at hand. Yeah, and they're sure. so, Edward brings, uh, brings that to light. Yeah, and they're so toxic in, like, like, the opening of the film of seeing the town and them all, like, calling each other about, like, every little thing that they see outside their windows. That they'll be at, get all busybodied about. But as soon as, like, a real issue happens, they don't care and just, like, want to see the gossip of, like, the police arresting someone. Yeah. 
Mm, because he does tell his parents, well, his parents immediately, doesn't he? He, yeah. go, well, he goes to talk to them. Like he, he goes and be like, oh yeah. And then she undressed in front of me. And the, the mum's like, uh, what? Yeah. And the dad's just like ignoring it. Just yeah. like, well, it's great that you can do this. And, blah, blah, blah. and it sort of shows the two opposing but she doesn't say anything because she's also got this like the father the, the father figure there. So she looks to him to solve the situation and he turns a blind eye and then she goes, Well, I can't do anything unless he's doing something about it. So I have to sort of turn a blind eye too. Mm-hmm. And then protect him on the sidelines, you know, like in secret, which I feel like is this very heteronormative way of, you know, women in these sort of 1950s style films, they'll always look to the man for help, which is the whole Reese Witherspoon thing. Never have I seen a woman look to a man help um turn in real life but should they look to a man for help and then if the man doesn't help directly then they sort of on the sly almost secretly just like look after the person that needs looking after yeah we're gonna take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors We want you, yes, you, to fill out our audience feedback survey. Our season's coming to a close. It's the third season, and we do a survey for every season because we want to get better each and every time. So we would love to hear from you. Get your feedback on what you love, what you hate about the show. Everything helps. Please visit drinkingandscreaming.com slash survey to fill out a short survey to help make Drinking and Screaming even better next season in February. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by Evil Amy's Terror Shop, who provided us with the amazing goodies to talk about on our episodes. We've been enjoying opening our Nightmare Before Christmas Funko Pop figure advent calendar every day this month. My favorite part about it was that Char didn't realize that it was entirely Nightmare Before Christmas. So it about took me th- an embarrassing amount yeah, of time. <laughs> about like the fourth day, she's like, wow, it's another Nightmare Before Christmas character. But uh, they're all super adorable, and uh, Char wants to like string them together to make like a Christmas hangy thingy, like a garland maybe. I was thinking tree ornaments, but it might be too hard. Maybe a garland's the way to go. That'd be cool. I would like that. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Gemma with a J underscore more more spelt like Roger Moore M W O R E, and on Twitter at uh, Gemma underscore underscore more. Um, you can also catch me in Host, um, and that is now being released uh, in cinemas worldwide and on digital and then in Blu-ray next year um, and DVD. So uh, if you follow the hashtag Host Movie, you'll be able to see my tweets and me covered in blood. So thank you so much and give me a follow. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. But please go fill out that survey. The link is in the description. Back to the episode. La 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 boom 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 boom. Do you have um, any points? I do have points. Mine also are unfortunately downers, by the way. Yay! Uh, So yeah, we were kind of, this one actually segues pretty well. Um, I wanted to talk about like how in the beginning of the film, everybody sees Edward and they're like worried for a second. But then once they see that he's got like this, this entertaining ability, which is to carve everything into beautiful shapes, he sort of becomes like this commodity that they all love and adorn and they're like oh edward come over and cut my hair oh cut my dog's hair uh all this stuff but the moment that he becomes like 
slightly inconvenient to them, which is like doing the crime and then being blamed for the sexual assault. He becomes this like he goes back to being this like other figure and they immediately want to lynch him. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it, it kind of reminds me of basically like queer culture where everybody loves yeah. like the, the the entertainment of the queers, the uh, fucking they love how quirky and upbeat and sassy and fashionable queer people are. But the moment that it's like, hey, can we get married, by the way? They're like, no. Yeah, that's inconvenient to us. And now we hate you. The moment you have issues like you. Uh, march for anything or you stand up for your own rights and stuff like that then we hate you now because you're not just entertaining us and cut our trees cut our hair call us bitches yeah <laughs> to be like oh you know you yeah exactly you're not you're not doing what we want you to do performing for us anymore and yeah and someone and in stuff. our community said that you did something wrong so we immediately believe you or believe them rather well, this whole film is a love letter for the sort of the outsider, isn't it? Like in, in the sense that it shows that brutality of being excluded from things. It also highlights that you're, there's always one person that will empathize with, or there's, you're not entirely alone all the time. There are people who will be able to accept you, but also then in that itself shows the sadness of it all, that the, the general community will sort of re reject you for being different yet you're not even one person who who you thought you could hold on to and not feel so lonely so it's like this sort of bittersweet yeah that's why um the the black cop who you know the stuff when he goes into the court case is very much like hey you're going to be okay out there that's the first person like the mum just didn't even think like brought him down like it's like when you take a, you see a like a baby animal lying, and you don't realize that its mom's just like around the corner <laughs> yeah. hiding from you, and then you're like, "I'm going to rescue it because I'm such a good person." Yeah, and then you take it away, and it dies because it's like, "Oh, my mom was just around the corner." <laughs> so, like, takes him like for, like a baby bird from his nest, and then she doesn't ever really. She kind of questions it, but not really. Like, never really addresses it. But that black cop who is a really interesting character immediately goes, Hey, you're going to be okay out there. Is it okay to put him out there? Yeah. And then when he sets him free at the end to go back to where he was, there's this sort of like recognition. I don't know if it was done intentionally, but this recognition of, you know, anyone who is an outsider of any kind, like into this like white heteronormative sort of society where you also have allies where you don't realize and, and, I don't know. It was, it was quite a complicated thing that I could. I when I was watching it last night, I was trying to find anyone who picked up on that, and I couldn't actually find anyone who yeah wrote about and that. So I wanted to talk about that. I don't think it's a mistake that he's well, the only <coughs> black person in this whole film. Yeah, that is the one that is empathizing yeah. with Edward. It kind of is ironic in a sense too, because like if that is if that was intentional he himself is also like an outsider from this community but his like commodity is that he literally maintains their peace like his job is to keep everything the way that they want it while also himself like not being a part of their community mm. so he recognizes no, that in in edward and be, be like you don't belong in this society because this society fucking sucks and they don't allow yeah. people like you yeah he's the only person of color in the whole yeah it's like Boom, including, all <laughs> yeah I think that I think that was that was something I, I was really amazed that I couldn't find anything on the internet about just like that mention of it there's so many like fun facts like ooh Tom Cruise <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no mention 
there's like talks about how this is like an angsty like the craft and stuff like this is like a love letter to angsty teens who just felt on the outsides and stuff but it maybe tim burton wanted to address that yeah in a time where you know not not many not many people were really addressing it but he was trying to do it in a way that's a little hint like trying to like put it in and infiltrate in a way that it's not like because back in the day if you would do something like that it would be too on the nose and people like you were saying would be Kelly would be like oh this is inconvenient like <laughs> for us now to have to think about this because it actually doesn't affect my privileged lifestyle yeah. so and it's also funny that you were mentioning Gemma that nobody took took the time to realize that maybe he was fine in the place that he was and the mom says like only at the end after her son's been like scared by Edward and like the cops are around her house is that and she's like trying to convince Kim to leave Edward alone now because it's made her life like have one fucking day of trouble she's like oh god I washed my hands of this you know it's probably best for him to be alone now Um, I've completely fucked him up but uh, it's he'll be okay if we just let him go back to where he's from it's also funny that he's he's the one that benefited from the whole experience because he goes back and he fucking thrives back at his house and everyone just goes back to their humdrum lives and he goes off and makes all these sculptures and invents snow you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, so he's like it's like a safari for him he came down learned a bunch about animals and then went back up and Everyone else can go fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, he learned. He and it's funny because he never ever agrees. He doesn't agree really to go back. He just knows. He, he. It's so funny. There's never a yes or a no. That's always just a. He has to go with what everyone else is saying for him to yeah. do. Yeah. Which is it. It's like people who have always, you know, felt like they're on the outside. Is that you're just trying to find your little bit of individuality at the same time just having to go with what everyone and the like the general norm is and and not actually getting consent in that because there is not really a choice but i mean governments and and you know places like that make us think that we have this choice mm-hmm. but actually there there really isn't that much freedom and choice within that so there's never a distinct you know yes or a no i always i always noticed and yeah. i think there's a reason that so many Tim Burton products show up in Hot Topic because teenagers that don't that can't like have their own choices and stuff like that but want to be individuals find themselves in a lot of Tim Burton movies and then go buy Hot Topic things yeah a bunch Mm. of stripes and costumes and whatnot (laughs) (laughs) you know he went in and he knew that he could touch the lives of all these different people but he would hurt them so it was like this really sweet when I read that I was like oh that's so That's so awful, That's so, but it's like, so true. Like you can't get a relationship with someone without at least hurting them once mm-hmm. in your whole yeah. life. And like that moment of him and Kim at the window when she asks him to hold her and he realizes that he can't, but then she helps him. Yeah. I'm like, ah, That's my so heartstrings. Because <laughs> it's something he wanted to do, but he needed help doing it. Yeah. Yeah. When he's when she was it, she's like, hold me. That's like the there was like on a t-shirt. Yeah. In the I can't. Hold me. I can't. <laughs> it's like, um, what's the quote? And I'm just a girl standing in the rain telling you I love you. <laughs> it's like those like old, 
Let's go in. Did you have another point, Kelly? Yeah, but it's another downer, and I don't want to talk about it. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll make it quick, though, because then we got to get into the next segment. So there is something... I don't know if it's inherently problematic about Sweeney Todd's relationship with Kim. I think it's more like... Sweeney Todd? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was reading something. In, I don't know if there's inherently something problematic with uh, Edward Scissorhands' like, relationship with Kim, or if it's more like innocent infatuation, but like his like feeling of ownership over her kind of reflects uh, whatever her shitty boyfriend's name is, ownership, but he expresses it in outward aggression towards like objects. Like her her boyfriend is aggressive to her and manhandles her and treat treats her like shit and basically like thinks he owns her. And then Edward kind of also gets that feeling toward her. But he's like, if I just do good things for you, you'll love me. But the moment that she doesn't, he gets upset and starts scratching the the house and is throwing things, which mm. is is a, a trait that everybody should grow out of. Like you're you're fine if you're young and you have that, but the moment that you continue to do that into actually having adult relationships, you're a shitty person. Yeah, um, but he is kind of like a kid. codependency, isn't yeah. it? It's a codependent thing, isn't it? When it's a co- codependency is like all about control, right? Yeah. So he's codependent on her love. So it can it's this a control thing. Yeah, the soft boy. So it kind of like it kind of sends this message to the people watching and identifying with Edward's like plight. That if you are nice to women and you do nice things for them and they don't reciprocate, you should just freak out and destroy your house um, and, then, <laughs> and then wait around because then they'll love you no matter what your behavior is like, which I th- I feel like also comes with the fact that it was made in 1990 where like as much as he was tr- as much as Tim Burton was like trying to infuse this with like good messages and stuff. The idea that you could just be nice to women until they like you uh, was not a great message. Yeah. No, that's it's yeah. There's that. Um, it's the like. I feel like I feel like those men when I when I was single and I was dating everyone. Um, those men were the scariest men. The ones that are like, I've been nice to you now, and therefore you like, but not like you were saying. The shitty boyfriend is like, oh, big red flag. Stay the fuck away from that. Whereas the sneaky nice people slowly like it almost like infiltrating away like i'm gonna just like slowly chip away at you and eventually because i'm so nice and you're gonna feel bad for me you're just gonna get with me and like that's the scary human beings that should be put on an island and uh told it told how to interact with human beings in a non-passive aggressive codependent <laughs> yeah. way yeah so that was my point but yeah i, I never no- never noticed that before it is like an, it's because it's That's... like portrayed as like innocent love story yeah but also if you flip it like, it's really weird i don't know i and you're already feeling like he's being wrong done by because of everything else yeah so you're you've already invested yeah. in him and then it's like well actually <laughs> you, we're gonna overlook this because you, you feel like he's been hun- hard done by yeah. why can't she just love him and then there's like a really creepy <laughs> undertone as at the end where like sure she has a granddaughter but there's still this vibe of like i've saved myself for edward like i had that one experience with him fucking 70 years ago and since he was such a nice guy to me i'm i'm now pure to him basically Mm. uh i don't want to i don't want him to see me like this an old woman like like female female like male friendship cannot go beyond 
that, like beyond this like innocence of beauty and youth and yeah. yeah. I mean, he's also a robot. <laughs> so I think yeah, he's a golem. I think he'll be <laughs> chill. Then they call him a golem. Yeah. He'll be chill if you go up there. Like I don't. I th- I think him being like a meat homunculi <laughs> will be <laughs> kind of more important. Yeah, yeah. It, they call it, it somewhere. It said he was a a golem, which I just thought was only for Lord of the Rings, but apparently it's <laughs> also for. See, I learned it's, a golem's just a thing made of. I think I learned about like the, re- the Jewish golem before I learned about go- golem from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Wait, what's, what's, what's the, the Jewish, Jewish one? Golem? Oh, it's it's super cool. It's this like giant um, stone golem that if you put a gold coin in its mouth, it will come to life and protect you. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. That sounds kind of like Asian, like the lion things that have the gold coins. Yeah, it's dope as hell. That's cool. <laughs> Where do I find one of these? Twenty twenty one. Oh, oh, Vincent, what is that? What's you? What do you've got there, Vincent? Is that a book bound in human skin? No, it's time to open the. I'm really trying to make just a narrative of this book continues to show to up in our appear house. in every episode. I like it. <laughs> uh, so my recommendation. I'm. This is. A cop out for for sure. A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. <laughs> There's Johnny Depp. Yeah. There's a guy with knife fingers. It doesn't take place on Christmas, but that community sure sucked. So Freddy's sweater is like red and green. <laughs> That's true. Freddy's sweater is kind of red. Go watch Nightmare on Elm Street 1984. It's basically reverse Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> <laughs> My recommendation is Sweeney Todd from 2007. We've already done a full episode of it, so you're already in luck. If you haven't listened to that one, go listen to it. But Johnny Depp, also featured, is a murderous barber out for revenge. Sweeney Todd from 2007. Mm, I'm going to recommend a film called Nine um, and it was directed by Shane Acker and produced by Tim Burton um, and it's sort of an apocalyptic war between humans and machines kind of a machine (laughs) Uh, the world is completely destroyed and void of human life however Ragdoll awakens in this world and holds the key to humanity's salvation and it's just this lovely story about kind of an outsider who actually saves the people that destroyed the world no matter what so it's actually humanity came from a little ragdoll it's a beautiful little film if anyone's not watched it it's one of those movies that i always liked the aesthetic of it and i never got around to watching it so maybe it's a beautiful you'll cry i cry i do like crying it's beautiful (laughs) oh boy and that brings us to scaredy facts For those of you just joining us for the first time, or for those of you who like the story like I do, and of course, Gemma's here now. All three of us are in our little loving relationship under the covers, going (laughs) to get some movie trivia to de-scare us from the horror film we watched. I mean, Edward Scissorhands is like gothic enough. But of course, we sort of peppered most of my facts Hell throughout yes. the episode. Good but job, I do, Gemma. <laughs> I do still have a bit. <laughs> uh, so starting with the budget, they estimate it to be twenty million USA dollars. Wow! The opening weekend, they only made a hundred and fifty-nine thousand. No, well, that's in the Ooh. U.S. Surely. 
they made more in other countries, right? Yeah. So bringing it, uh, the whole worldwide gross, thank God, they made, they are very successful. Um, 86.1 million. So nice. they like okay. quadrupled their money. Good job, team. That probably doesn't even count like merch and stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is just box mm. office and uh, like DVD sales and whatnot. And any like back ends going on from like every time it, it gets because back ends back in the day were a lot more than they are now. So every time since then, I wonder what the pay in for Ed. I wonder if he gets like a little Edward Scissorhands like check in the press. <laughs> Probably. It's all cut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that I did not notice in the movie when we watched it. Let me know if either of you did. But the title close the film title closes together like a pair of scissors, but then all of the opening credits are scissor shaped. The right the typography oh. of the like directors and stuff is shaped like scissors. I just thought they were Cool and spooky looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're scissor shaped. Cool. That's cool. Talking about how Edward like doesn't ever say yes or no, Gemma. He only speaks 169 words. Nice. Wow. That would have been a fun script to learn. <laughs> yeah. My dyslexic brain would have been like, oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs> This one we already touched on, but I'll say it again. The neighborhood is based on Tim Burton's hometown of Burbank, California. The houses used in the film were a real community in Florida, completely unchanged except for their garish exterior paint and their small windows. Tiny windows. And the entire story is meant to be seen through Edward's eyes. I really didn't think you guys would know that. I was really, (laughs) I felt so jazzed. I was like, yeah, that's why it looks so weird. Because he's an unreliable narrator. Oh, see, you—that's like, that's your mistake, Shar. Is you brought someone on the show who actually works in movies, not us. Oh, but also I'm such a Hermione Granger. <laughs> Whenever someone's like, "Do you want to come talk about something on a podcast?" I'm like, "Let me just do my hours of research." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry about no, that. No, I love I'm it. Sorry. It's great. <laughs> Um, the role of the inventor was written specifically for Vincent Price, who is a horror icon. Um, for those of you who don't know, we already mentioned that he was in the House of Wax from 1953. He's also from House on Haunted Hill from 1959 and The Monster Club from 1981, which is a musical anthology horror. Yeah. Um But yeah, his role was actually intended to be a lot larger than it ended up being in the film. But he was so ill with emphysema and Parkinson's disease that they had to cut his filming time to a minimum so that he could still be in the film. But yeah, they had to minimize what he was actually doing. He was also doing a documentary sit down and talk with Tim Burton um, that they could never release because he had passed away. I think it was 1993 um, that it was that he was doing it around. I think it was 1993. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and fortunately they never finished it. Mm, that sucks. Yeah. That would have been really good. Yeah. He also, I think he's the voice in the beginning of Michael Jackson's thriller. Music yeah, video. he is. Oh, sorry. Was that one of your facts coming up? <laughs> no, it <I> wasn't. <laughs> I read that, but I didn't include it. So yeah. thank you for beefing up my now. <laughs> 
cutaway segment of Scary Facts. <laughs> <laughs> this one was not said. So Caroline Thompson, who's the screenwriter uh, and story by of this uh, Edward Scissorhands, the character Peg is based on her mom, oh. who used to bring home strangers all the time. The neighbors are based on yeah. <laughs> the neighbors are based on people she grew up with as a kid, and get this, Edward is based on her border collie mix that she had when she was in college. Oh. so he's based on a dog. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's so cute. It's very cute. <laughs> oh yeah, this is like a funny tidbit. The at the start of the film, when they're driving in the car, you see uh, a little blonde boy go down a slip and slide. That is Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I'm gonna watch that again. I've got a little fun fact. <gasps> yes. Um, that's not being said. Edwards was originally going to be called Nathaniel because in a book that Caroline Thompson wrote, she had a character called Edward. So she wanted to be different from that. But um, Tim Burton wanted to call him Edward. That's cool. So, but he, she wanted to call him Nathaniel, and then he won that out. Nathaniel. It does sound. It's it has this doesn't sound right. no, but it Nathaniel does have like a gothic hands. name. Like it does still sounds gothic. Yeah, but I think Edward was the way to go. And the dad would be like, yeah. "How you doing there, Nate? Nate, what's up, Nate? <laughs> Nate, yeah. <laughs> also, um, also Kim. I don't know if he, Kim was going to be. Um, well, first choice for Kim actually was Laura Dern. Mm -hmm. Didn't know if that was from Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, from Jurassic Park. Yeah, because she is. Because I guess um, did Beetlejuice come before this? Yes, because he wanted Gina Davis also to play the mom. But uh, she's fantastic. She would have been great, but not not as. Hot. I felt like um, uh, Diane West. 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 I don't know. I think West? there is an I in there, so I'm like West. <laughs> I don't know. I'm dyslexic, so I'll pronounce every every vowel. <laughs> West. Um, <laughs> just sound really like Australian. Diane West. Um, she. Uh, she. I felt had the heart of them, like that mum. Like, like you. You genuinely felt that it, it's this like. Um, good intent that people think they're doing it's like when people are like um you know promoting like charities thinking that they're that, but haven't done the research it's just like good in doing things with good intent that are actually kind of a little bit more damaging yeah. she's definitely one of those people totally um i have a few more johnny depp was <laughs> determined to nail the character i got this straight from imdb i always find it funny when non-actors write these <laughs> the actor wanted to do their job well um but he, he refused any like cooling agents or ice packs in the costume because he wanted it to look authentic and not be too bulky uh but it was made all out of leather and uh synthetic materials so while he was filming the scene running back to his home when the like whole angry mob is chasing him a la Frankenstein he ended up collapsing from heat exhaustion because it was so hot and he his like body temperature rose so high because he was also like contained in this leather costume oh man yeah we've all worn that one outfit (laughs) to like you know, like on a night out thinking it was cool and then immediately regretted it because it was just too hot. <laughs> <laughs> just the thought of that just makes me cry. What? Oh, did they have to cut him out? Because he would have been all like swollen, no? 
Because when you're like, I swear, like when you get hot in, like you know, like like it's Ross and friends when <laughs> yeah, you get like, the leather pants. You have to make the paint. Because they couldn't, they couldn't be like, oh, we've got to take you out of this because then that whole day of filming would be ruined because they couldn't put him back in. Yeah, yeah, true. Because he'd be too, too like swollen and hot <laughs> and sticky. There's enough straps that you would think that some of them are hopefully functional that they can loosen it. <laughs> a few more holes, like just like that with a hot like leather hole punch, like hey, <laughs> just got loosen it. A the bit. whole design reminded me of one of my friends when we uh, graduated gave me a pair of pants that he had like grown out of. And they were like those really baggy pants with like unnecessary straps and like zippers in places and stuff. Kind of you see like um, like goth punk kids wearing during raves. Uh, his entire design just made me think of that one pair of pants that my friend gave me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Amazing. Two more facts. <laughs> Some of the topiary that Edward makes in the movie is still available to be viewed. It's at a New York City restaurant, Tavern on the Green. So if you want to see, well, don't travel now because, you know, COVID. But when it is safe to travel, you can see some of the props from the film at that restaurant, Tavern on the Green in New York. I feel like that's, isn't that just, isn't Tavern on the Green on a golf resort? I think. I don't know. Uh, that is the extent of my knowledge on the subject. Oh, no, it's called Tavern on the Green because it's next to Central Park. It mm. is like the green of the Central Park. I got it. And my last fact is... <laughs> car fact. The Boggs family car is a 1974 Ford Maverick. Nice. Got to keep everybody up to date on the cars and guns. Yeah. I didn't find any facts about the guns that were used, but there were two guns fired. The cop shoots four times and uh, the bad boyfriend shoots once. Yeah. Boyfriend whose name doesn't matter. Yeah. We don't like him. He doesn't <laughs> get a name. He's a, a non-event. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. So it's time for final thoughts. Uh, I mean, my final thought is more about this episode in that. I learned a lot. I feel like we had really good discussion and and uncovered the mystery of the intent behind Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, it was very it was very good, and I'm glad that uh, Gemma was here to go on this adventure with us. <laughs> totally. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys, on this suburban Frankenstein adventure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I always think that this is. I really want to live in one of those houses, though, even though that, there would be no daylight. Oh, those like California bungalows are awful. <laughs> My final thought is, as much as I like picked apart this film in our discussion with all of my criticisms, I do still love this movie. It's such a joy to watch the the origin about the snow and it's just so heartwarming and it's definitely an old favorite of mine that I haven't had the chance to watch for like I don't know five or so years <laughs> so it was nice to revisit it um, with the lens of having it for drinking and screaming but uh, still a solid movie yeah yeah. well that's been Edward Scissorhands a movie about a dog that learned to give haircuts to other dogs next week we'll be watching <laughs> our Patreon voted on film as our season 3 finale Misery from 1990 <laughs> Don't worry, we'll be back for season four in mid-February 2021. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah! Bye! Ah! Thank 
you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll, voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 